Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Everybody, welcome back. We got another movie. And <laughs> today we're talking about the 2013 horror comedy, The Knights of Badassdom. Hell yeah. This movie was made on a budget of four and a half million dollars, which eventually grew to six million dollars, managed to make $120,000 at the box office. I didn't even know it was released in theaters. It was very limited release, yeah. Movie's got a 67% of rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The director, Joe Lynch, blames the failure of this movie on Media Society producers for removing much of the horror from the film. Yeah. The movie was released at San Diego Comic-Con in 2011. But it wasn't finished for two more years after that. That'll kill a movie right there. Yeah. Like, I don't know what happened. I guess, yeah, like the studio's like, nah, this is too crazy. And it like sat on the shelf and then it got re-edited and then released finally. And like at that point, the director's like, I disavow any knowledge of that film. Well, here's, uh, here's some stuff that I found. You remember when we were talking about Deathstalker 2? The director was given a script. He said, I don't like this script. Let's make a different script. The producer got the executive producer in there and said, they can't do this. And the executive producer said, yeah, they can. Shut up and let them make a movie. Well, that totally didn't happen here. Yeah, you can tell kind of. I don't know. It's they, still a good movie, but yeah. Yeah, they gave Joe Lynch a script. And that's not the movie he made. And they didn't care too much for that. So they tried to make the movie they asked him to make with the footage that he shot. And that's how he got this movie. I, I think it's like an awesome movie, but it goes by really fast. You know, like it's like an hour and 30 minutes or something, but it feels like a like a 45, 50 minute TV episode of something. Right. You know, but it's still a good movie. I like it. But you could tell there's like character development missing out the ass. A lot. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff thrown in there that you have to just buy it. Don't yeah. don't don't wonder how it came to be. Just accept it. That's that's the way this movie is. Yeah, it's it's a roller coaster. There were really right. just too many cooks. Oh yeah. Um, also, one of the things that delayed this movie was one of the finance partners, Indivest. They were everything was put on hold while they were under investigation by the financial financial industry regulatory authority so some weirdness with their books also delayed the movie but if you release a trailer for a movie you better have that movie ready to go it can't be two years off yeah you you don't release that trailer especially at comic-con unless it's coming out in the next six months yeah oh man yeah it's gotta already be in post-production and We've got a release date. Otherwise, forget it. Watching this movie, it seemed to me almost like they couldn't make up their mind which movie they wanted to make. And, and then when I hear 
about the conflict between the production company and the director. It's pretty clear. Yeah, they're, they're, these are two very different movies here. Yeah. Kind of mashed into one. It makes a good effort at being a comedy about quirky LARPers. It makes a strong go at being a special effects heavy horror film. And it never achieves either one of those goals. No, yeah. Like the CGI effects, like the gore effect. Uh-huh. Really flat. I mean, they're terrible. Right. And uh, there's the, the comedy bits, they're funny, but I'm not going to laugh out loud. Right. There's a couple of lines I might like snicker at, but like, yeah. <laughs> but That's for true. Like, for like a, I don't like, like a fucking weekend movie, you know, maybe you get together with some friends, you know, and you got like two or three movies to watch. This one, you're not going to like, you know, there's no pissing time, like whatsoever. It's like quick. Right. Exactly. It, it's a nice kind of like light movie to like digest and stuff. Sure. This is a um, a primetime Saturday Fox special effects horror comedy. Oh, yeah. Movie was directed by Joe Lynch, and his IMDb bio says it all. Joe Lynch is a filmmaker, or at least he keeps telling people that. <laughs> I don't know. I like, I like his stuff. He basically does like television and music videos, right? Yeah. He's got a couple of movies. They're like this. They're like kind of like. B movies, you got to be into like B movies to want to see these movies, especially Chillerama. Chillerama is like weird. Like, I cannot get somebody to come like watch that movie all the way through. <laughs> halfway, they're like, I can't take the rest of it. This TV works pretty good though. Yeah. In film, he's known for Wrong Turn to Dead End, Everly, and Point Blank. On TV, he directed episodes of 12 Deadly Days and My Dead X. And in the podcast world, he is co-host of the podcast, The Movie Crypt, where he and his partner interview celebrities who actually succeeded in film. <laughs> it's written by Kevin Dreyfus and Matt Wall. Kevin Dreyfus is better known as a producer. This is the only thing he ever wrote. He served as executive producer on several AMC web series. For Better Call Saul, Nosferatu, Fear the Walking Dead. I liked Nosferatu. Did you ever see that one? The AMC series? Yeah. No, I haven't. Zachary Quinto is a, a time-traveling vampire. The guy that plays Fox? Yeah. Oh, man, I gotta check that out. Yeah, and he sounds like Grandpa Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. It's a, it's, a, it's a limited series. It's a one-season-and-we're-done thing. Okay. It's not like it was canceled after the first series. That's really all there was to it. Movie was edited by Howard Smith. And I mentioned this guy because Joe Lynch blames the failure of this movie on the editing. But Howard Smith has edited some really good stuff, including Dante's Peak, John Cameron's The Abyss, Glengarry Glen Ross, Point Break, and Snakes on a Plane. Yeah, that's, a, that's quite a list, man. He's got a resume. He yeah. has a serious resume. Movie stars Ryan Quantin as Joe, best known as Jason Stackhouse on the HBO series True Blood. You a dizzy bitch, Jason Stackhouse. <laughs> as well as recurring roles in Them, Summerland, and Home and Away. 
Also appeared in the movies Dead Silence, Northmen, A Viking Saga, and Legend of the Guardians. This movie was filmed right in the middle of the run of the True Blood series. So, I mean, the actors in this movie, they were all well known at the time they made this movie. Oh, yeah. So they're doing this for fun. They're not doing this to make their career. Oh, no, it was, it was like in the, the height of like nerd pop culture and stuff. Yeah. Like where like uh, uh, Comic-Con became like where you went to go premiere movies that like, you know, I mean, it's yeah. still like a, this was like the beginning of that. So everybody was really hyped. And so like just to get like weird nerd cred, like people would just go and make stupid movies like this. Yeah. And there's a lot of like cameos and stuff. Right. Like it's totally made like uh, what do you call it? Um, pandering to like your crowd or whatever, like oh, uh, absolutely fanboy service, you know. Yep. Next we have Steve Zahn as Eric, definitely the worst singer of the bunch. He's a great actor, though. I've seen him in like <laughs> he can't sing for shit, but he's a good actor. Exactly. And recurring roles in Phineas and Ferb, Treem, Modern Family, The Crossing, and The White Lotus. Also appeared in Joyride, Sahara. And War for the Planet of the Apes. That movie keeps coming up here recently in a lot of the films that we're talking about. Yeah. Probably because of the, the, the amount of voice actors once the monkeys start talking. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, you, you don't even know if that's a, that guy in the suit. That could be like anybody. Right. But uh, yeah, this guy's a good actor. I, I've seen his shit. Uh, Reality Bite. Uh, and uh, what you may call it, we're, uh, oh man, what was that? Uh, Sarah Silverman or what? And uh, what was it? Yeah, he was in Sarah Silverman. Yeah, and it's like, um, it's like he, he does comedy real well. Yeah, he does drama real well. You know, he's a great actor. He's got a good job. Right. But yeah, he does do movies like this quite frequently too. So yeah, because he can. Yeah. And you know why not? Summer Glau as Gwen, known for Firefly, Terminator, The Sarah Chronicle. Sarah Connor Chronicles, Arrow, Grey's Anatomy, and the 4400. Yeah, another like solid TV chick. Loved her in Firefly. I loved her. You know, she's the best part of that uh, Terminator TV show. How fast am I going to nerd hell for admitting that I've never seen Firefly? Hey! <laughs> Did you see Serenity at least? Because I know they like no. played that. Huh? No. Uh, you know what? Not that bad, because, like, uh, I, I think that show picked up more traction after it got canceled. Because I didn't find out about it until I went and saw, cause I went and saw Serenity in uh, the theaters with some friends that were into the show. So I had no idea. And then, like, I go, I was like, oh, this is a show? Oh, like, yeah. I thought that was cool that they had a movie that was, like, going to be, like, a tie. And then, like, when I get back home, I was like, oh, yeah, no, it's canceled. Like, what? Nah, crap. <laughs> yeah. I got invested. Yep. Jimmy Simpson. As Ronnie Kwok, best known as Liam McFoyle in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was also in Westworld, man. Yes, he was. He played William in the HBO series Westworld. He was also in the HBO series Carnival. Oh, man. I love that show. I do, too. That's a sleeper. Like, uh, not a lot of people were into it when it was out. Kind of like. It's a it's a thinking horror film. You there's you it leaves you to put a lot of stuff together on your own. The story's there. It's not plot holes. 
but you've got to make the connections. It's not going to spoon feed you the stuff. And that's what I liked about it. Yeah, it was really good. He also had roles in House of Cards, Psych, The Late Show with David Letterman, where he played Lyle, the intern. That was when he was on NBC. And my name is Earl. But yeah, mostly whenever you see this guy, you're going to go, oh, that's that creepy guy from Always Sunny. Yeah. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it <laughs> is. <laughs> Margarita Laviva as Beth appeared in The Blacklist, Allegiance, Adventureland, and How to Make It in America. Peter Dinklage as Hung, probably best known as Tyrion Lannister in the HBO series Game of Thrones. This movie was released right after season two of Game of Thrones, which means he finished making this and immediately started on season one of Game of Thrones. Yeah, which is weird because both of them have to do with fantasy. Yeah, but one of them oh, pays. Yeah, no, yeah, you got that. <laughs> Also, it's I think it's weird that like what three of the people in this movie are were like or not four. Yeah, four people were like in major HBO shows. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Peter Dinklage, no introduction. I mean the guy like I mean, I remember seeing him in, in stuff before Game of Thrones, you know. He was like, you know, he stood out, you know. Yeah. And basically from, like, he's been in everything that Brad Williams got turned down for. <laughs> He's a great actor. I love him. I can't wait to see his new stuff coming out. Right. He also appeared in X-Men Days of Future Past, Nip Tuck, Pixels, and the upcoming remake of The Toxic Avenger. Oh, man. You know, man, I got to see that. Yes. I don't even care if it sucks. I'm just going to see it. We, we need to get a bunch of our listeners together and all of us go see The Toxic Avenger. Hell yeah. You guys let us know in the comments. Leave us a message on speakpipe.com. Let us know who's down to go see Toxic Avenger when it comes out. Finally, W. Earl Brown as Randy. This guy is one of my all-time favorite actors. Another guy that's been on an HBO show. Yes. But yeah, he's a great actor, man. He is fantastic. He played Dan Doherty on the HBO masterpiece Deadwood. Played Cameron Diaz's brother Warren in There's Something About Mary. Oh, God, yeah. Have you seen my baseball? Have you seen my baseball? <laughs> he appeared in Preacher, The Highwayman, The Book of Boba Fett, The Mandalorian, Archer, True Detective, Chicago Fire, American Horror Story, NYPD Blue, Vanilla Sky, Chicago Hope. You name it, if it's worth watching, he's probably been in it. He was the guy that killed Pauly Shore in Pauly Shore's Dead. Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's been a great actor. I love him to death. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's a paintballer in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get into it. No spoilers yet. Yeah. Movie opens with a monologue about a book called The Sigillum Emoth. Written by John D. in the 16th century. This was a book of musical chants that were supposed to summon angels, but he got something screwed up and instead it summons demons. That seems like a big thing to get wrong. <laughs> D. tried to destroy the book but failed. Now the book has been found and we see some red robed figures chanting in the woods. They're performing a human sacrifice to appease the gods, but they're told that their attempt failed. These guys are playing live action D&D. 
Yeah, LARPing. And, yep. They are... Now, I think that we need to make a distinction here because there are some folks who, when they hear LARPing, the only thing they think about is foam sword stick fighting. But nah, I don't think, but yeah, I, I could say, yeah. But yeah, it definitely goes beyond that to actually basically making it live action Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, there was a really cool episode of uh, Dave Attell up all night where he would do stand up and then go around that town. And he was in Nashville one time and he hung out with a bunch of LARPers that were playing Vampire the Masquerade. Okay. And it was weird as shit, man. But yeah, it's just like everybody's dressed up and it's like a party, but you're not you. You're like whatever character you made up. You know, it's just, it's weird. Nice. Yeah. Well, they're arguing with Ronnie, who is their dungeon master, apparently. Meanwhile, some guys with paintball guns are sneaking up on them through the woods. There is a LARPing event coming up and these guys are worried that they'll fail there, but Eric has just the magic they need. And then he borrows a line from Blazing Saddles as he says, excuse me, while I whippeth this out. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't get a chance to use it, though, because paintballs start flying. The paintballers have warned these guys before about playing their wizard games in these woods. The paintballers are shooting the guys up pretty good. So the guys run for their van and try to get out of there, and they accidentally leave Eric's book behind on the ground. One of the paintballers, Randy, finds it, or one of the paintballers finds it and hands it to Randy, and Randy tries to tear the book up. This is, this is what they do whenever they find nerd books, is they destroy them. It may be all books, or <laughs> I don't know. Oh, knowledge bad. Must destroy. <laughs> Well, the book pops open and attacks Randy's face, just like an alien face sucker. Yeah. The gem on the spine of the book starts glowing as Randy fights to get the book off his face. His friends help him rip the book off his face. And when the book hits the ground, the gem goes dark and the book disappears. But something's happened to Randy and it's freaking out his buddy. And when Randy turns around to face the camera, you can see the text from the book is tattooed across his face or burned into his face or something. Yeah, it's totally burned. It's like a little kind of like TGI smoke effect only on the corner of the screen and stuff. Yeah. And it's, like, it's really dark, you know? Right. Etched into his face. And it, like that kind of bugged me because later on, not so dark. But uh, I'm, I'm skipping ahead. <laughs> Well, in the van, Reginald is in a lot of pain from the paintballs. Eric is driving the van, and he can't find his book, so he starts to panic. He is freaking out and shouting at everybody when he can't find this book. Apparently, he's going to be in a lot of trouble because he borrowed this book, or he paid a lot of money for it on eBay. Not really sure. I think later in the movie, they said that he got it on eBay. Yeah. But then the book just appears on the floor of the van next to Reggie and Hung asks Eric, is this the book that you want? And Eric immediately calms down, just like flipping a light switch. He's hollering, I got to find this book. I got to find this book. Is this a book? Yeah, that's that's my book. (laughs) We're good. Hung vows that they will return for revenge on the redneck paintballers. And the book opens up as the title of the film appears in blood red letter. Hell yeah. Cut to doom metal lip sync in a mechanic shop. 
<laughs> Joe is singing into a shop light as his co-worker Gilberto, played by the awesome Brian Posehn. Hell yeah. Brian Posehn is air guitaring with him. This guy's great. He's a comedian and heavy metal guitarist. Appears as Stevie the Coroner in Reno 911, Bert the Geologist in The Big Bang Theory, and the voice of Cousin Larry in Kim Possible. Yeah, the guy's done extensive like, voice work in cartoons, especially around uh, this time period, uh, early to, you know, t- early 2000s onward. Uh, great stand-up comedian, one of my favorites. Uh, was one of the original guys on Mr. Show. This list goes on. Guy's awesome, and yeah, yeah, he does this little yo part, which is cool. Uh, Also, like they're they're dancing and stuff, and then like their boss comes. Well, Joe's girlfriend Beth is getting dressed in another part of the building, and she hears the music through the air ducts, and she is not pleased about it. Joe's boss enters the garage and yells at him to turn off the music. Joe tells Gilberto. Joe tells Gilberto. That the doom metal song they were just listening to is a love song that he wrote for Beth. Then Joe and Beth are getting ready to go out. Joe tells him that they're going out to dinner someplace nice. And he has a big surprise for her. And she freaks out because she thinks that he's going to ask her to marry him. And she shuts that shit down quick because, well, she's dumping him right here. <laughs> Joe has a college degree and wants to be a mechanic and play doom metal. And well, if she's going to be successful, she needs to align herself with successful people. And well, that's not it. So see ya. And she just broke his heart. Beth walks out and Joe punches the car, which sets off the car alarm and also hurts his hand. Honestly, he's better off without her because she thought the music they were listening to was black metal and not doom metal. And if she can't tell the difference, well, then she doesn't deserve him. (laughs) (laughs) Next, we get a shot of a fake castle house, which is really a, a, a real house in Spokane, Washington. Eric and Hung are loading weapons into the back of Eric's van when Joe arrives. Hung is looking for his plus three mace. Joe happens to find his mace by running over it and bending the handle. When My Hung, mace. Yeah, when Hung sees this, he is distraught. His mom made that mace for him. <laughs> it's a big heavy metal thing, too. It's not a little toy foam stick mace. It's, it's a real thing. Yeah. In his room, Joe starts drowning his sorrows with a bottle of Jim Beam. Apparently, Beth was his high school sweetheart because there's a photo of the two of them at prom. Eric and Hung go to check on Joe, but he's playing a power ballad on his guitar. And that's when they realize Beth dumped him because that's the only reason he would play a power ballad. Yeah, he's in his feels right now. Yeah, like the guy who only listens to My Chemical Romance when a girl dumps him. Joe wants to stay home and sulk, but Hung does some weird mystical petting and says he knows what Joe needs. It's so creepy, this scene, because he's just sitting in front of Joe and Eric, and he's got a hand on each one of them's shoulder, and he's just petting them and look, <laughs> I know what you need. <laughs> it's super, super cringy. I was just going to go, Hung, he imbibed a lot. A lot. 
a lot. Yeah, he uh, he he lives. He goes for the gusto. So he he brings out like a bong that's bigger than him. Yes, and just starts packing away. Yes, what Joe needs is to get really really high and to wash that high down with some fireball <laughs> or wild turkey. That's what it was. Yeah. It was wild turkey, and they just proceed to get completely wasted until Joe passes out. He dreams about having sex with Beth, then he wakes up on the floor of Eric's van wearing his armor. Eric and Hung have kidnapped him and taken him to the Battle of Evermore. Next thing we see, the first thing we see at the Battle of Evermore is King Diamond the Red smoking clove cigarettes and explaining that Sir Dragonloft has been detained by Minerva the Sea Hag. (laughs) Just like every... D&D nerd that smokes clove cigarettes. He only talks on the exhale. Yeah. <laughs> I like how they got uh, like uh, closed castings for people who don't speak nerd. Yes, there are subtitles that translate uh, King Diamond's statement as Ed's freaking bitch wife is making him clean out the garage this weekend because she found his porn folder on his PC. <laughs> yeah. But, like, the guy's saying it as, like, this big, like, soliloquy and shit, and, but that's what you get. Yep. And, uh, yeah, King Carrie comes back with some other shit. I don't know. It's, it's funny. Every time they do that, it's like whenever they go to a place, like, uh, the Battle of Evermore or something, it'll, it'll come up with a font, you know, like, Battle of Evermore. Right. The Kingdom Ellipsis or something. <laughs> yeah, King Carrie is in an electric wheelchair that's made up to look like a chariot. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah. Eric and Hung appear and tell Joe they've brought him to the kingdom of Eliphaz, or at least the parking lot of the kingdom of Eliphaz. Eric and Hung are speaking in character using poeticish, made up medieval speak. <laughs> <laughs> a map is unrolled on a picnic table and weighted down with condiment bottles. It's a map of the park where they're holding this event. Ronnie Kwok is leading his entourage around, showing them the area where the battle will take place. The falls on the map is just a spigot that empties into a livestock water tank. <laughs> yeah. Kwok lays out the entire plan for the weekend of LARPing. Then Gunther and Gwen walk past, and Kwok needs to immediately get his creep on with, Ven- with Gwen. As soon as he touches Gwen, though, Gunther goes into bodyguard mode, so Ronnie's going to take that as a no for right now. Just yeah. for now. Just for now. That Gunther guy's like eight foot tall or some shit. He's too. huge. He looks like Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. Joe's looking for the keys to the van so he can get the hell out of here and go back home. He ends up finding metal swords, even though these guys only use foam weapons. But it turns out Eric brought these weapons to sell. He reminds Joe. He is a legend because of the time he gave Ronnie Kwok's paladin demonic syphilis. (laughs) Every STD in this movie is prefixed with demonic. Yeah. Because I think there's a mention of demonic herpes at some point, too. (laughs) (laughs) They also caught Ronnie masturbating to the picture of the succubus in the monster manual. (laughs) So this little bit of reminiscing convinces Joe to stay for the weekend. It'll be fun. 
And Eric is also going to try to land, level up to Grand Sorcerer. And besides, Hung has an ounce of mushrooms. And when, when that's all it takes to convince him, Joe's in. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Ronnie has arrived at the Fields of Evermore, where people are setting up tents, and a pissed-off actor wants to know where his costume is. Oh, man. Ronnie provides him with his costume. It's a green ape costume. <laughs> Eric tells Ronnie that Joe will need will be replacing Sir Reginald. Oh, by the way, that actor even more mad now because he was told this was a weekend improv workshop. Yeah. <laughs> he like holds the mask up. It's like this is bullshit. I got trained. <laughs> Yeah, this guy's a trained actor, which means he's probably a professional extra. Yeah. Eric tells Ronnie that Joe will be replacing Sir Reginald. Ronnie hates Joe. Eric suggests it's just because the pages of his monster manual remain stucketh together. Yeah. <laughs> Ronnie agrees to let Joe play, provided Eric completes a level 12 summoning spell to manifest Joe's character. And the quest assignments begin. Most of the people in this movie are extras recruited from LARPing groups around Spokane, Washington. And apparently there were a lot of them. Also, all the main stars had to go through like a LARPing course. <laughs> like LARPing training. Yeah, I can see that. They brought their own costumes. They brought their own weapons. They have names like the Freak End Warriors, the Medieval uh, Knievels. Gnomeland. Security. Gnomeland security. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and they must complete their quest before the next day's battle. Also, Ryan the Necromancer has lost his inhaler. Oh, sorry. Has lost his inhaler of doom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, they got like a PA system hooked up, right? So right. It's like Mac. But it's, it's like Mac in medieval uh, times. Yes. Like super nerded out. It's great. I loved the PA announcements in MASH. They were great. They, yeah. I mean, they, they're still iconic because, like, a lot of, uh, well, I don't know, I say a lot, but, like, I've seen them where they're directly just ripping off MASH doing that, you know? Yeah. Uh, yep. Like, and this the, is one of those times. Yeah. I think Scrubs used to do that also. Right. Fucking Children's Hospital. Anything like a hospital used to do that. Right. It's great. But, yeah, it's really funny in this movie. Well, Hung is stretching and warming up while he explains LARPing to Joe. Gwen meets Joe, and they grin at each other, and that's a distraction, so Hung just starts beating on Joe. Wailing the shit out of him. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> he starts wailing him, and Gwen looks at him and says, Finish him! <laughs> but like there. it had like little damage points, like, you know, like in a video game. It's like, yes. plus one, plus I love that. Yes. And she's definitely there for the game. She is all in for this nerd weekend. At the summoning, Gwen and Gunther show up. They are the rest of the party with Eric, Hung, and Joe. Eric reads a spell from the spell book, and the gem on the book starts glowing. The wind starts howling. A portal to another realm opens in the sky, and a succubus appears, choking Joe. Then everybody's knocked off their feet. So maybe Joe actually summoned a real succubus, or Eric summoned a real succubus. Joe's prom photo fell out of his pocket. He goes to pick it up, but Hung beats him to it and eats it. 
tongue is high, by the way. It will be high for the rest of the movie. Oh, yeah. At this point, Hung is tripping on mushrooms. He took that ounce of mushrooms and just turned the whole bag up into his mouth like we do with the Cool Ranch Doritos. <laughs> so he eats the, the photo of Beth. Ronnie is pissed off at Eric for using non-sanctioned smoke in his summoning. Ronnie's that guy who has to be in charge of everything. Well, he's a DM. It kind of looks like their job. But yeah, yeah. yeah he totally is like over doing it with uh this guy because he right. hates him and and also i'm pretty sure uh dude has like maybe started a fire before because right. it's like yeah you can't do your like level seven like fucking fireball we almost got kicked out of what you gonna call it or something yeah like, it makes it like this is not this guy's first time with pyrotechnics sure i remember seeing a a documentary tv show and and they were talking to folks who who make their own firework and they'll go out into the desert and, and shoot them off together. It's like a pyrotechnics club. And there's a rule that they have that applies to only one person in the rule or in the club. He is not allowed to create any artillery shells larger than 12 inches in diameter. <laughs> Because one time he made a really huge one and the launch didn't work right and he blew up their launching tube and blew a giant crater in the ground. So there's one rule limiting him now. And and maybe Eric falls into that group too. Oh yeah, most definitely. But yeah, Ronnie is the guy in the homeowners association going around deciding everybody because their hedges are three quarters of an inch too tall. Or their blinds don't fit their windows. He's that kind of tight ass. Yeah. Next, we see the succubus that Eric really did summon, looking a lot like Beth. And she just walks out of the smoke as the rest of the group leaves. Also, she's wearing the same dress that she wore in the prom. So she's got her hair different. Like when you first see Beth at the beginning of the movie, she looks older. She's got like long, straightened hair. You know, her makeup's done. Sound like a you know an older uh female would do it this one to- she totally looks like she just came off the prom dance floor yes this is like beth look- right out of the prom photo well as the guys leave march toward their quest eric introduces all of the compa- all of their companions for joe there's lando the pious he's sneaky gunther the mighty he's crazy guinevere the fearless who has a plus three ass of perfection Damn straight. And then the green apes run out of the woods and attack everybody while Ronnie does play by play. Yeah. Random encounter in the woods. Huzzah. (laughs) The actor that we saw earlier is lost in the woods and, you know, he's wearing his ape costume, but he's taking the, the head off. So he's just walking around in a green fun fur onesie, basically. The. Succubus appears and she's making moves on the actor between cuts back to the battle. Hung and Joe have both been taken out by the apes that attack their party. Meanwhile, the succubus is going down on the grumpy actor, then reaches up and rips his jaw off. This and is what I was talking about. Uh, like with the, the CGI, it's like that is just so bad looking. Yes. 
like the jump cuts are bad enough but when you're doing jump cuts in the cgi that's awful yeah like the pacing is pretty cool i like that but like then it like just totally look like a cartoon jaw like yes it didn't matter all the lighting's fucked up back at the battle eric revives hung and the fight continues he does this by chanting a spell and then throwing a ping pong ball at hung and hitting him in the head Eric is shouting spell names and throwing these orange ping pong balls to represent those spells. When a gray ape on stilts arrives, Lando is taking taken out, but Gunther's still up and he takes out the giant ape. The group splits up to find the temple they're supposed to loot. Lando and Hung head off to search the forest for the temple. Joe needs to go back to the van and get an amulet that Eric forgot. Gwen is going to go with Joe, and that leaves Eric with a growling Gunther. Suddenly, it's nighttime. It was daytime just a second ago. Now it's nighttime. And we see an elf guy walking through the woods when he hears something. He asks if that is the denizens of the elves' realm, speakers of elvish. Uh That's when he sees Succubus Beth with blood running down her chin. And this succubus is using, is repeating pieces of previous conversations to make it sound like she's communicating. Yeah. They, they just happen to fit with. Right. Yeah. It just happens to fit. She's coming on to this elf, which isn't working very well because, well, she's got an innie and he's into Audis. So he's not interested in her feminine wiles. He's more interested in other wiles. Uh-huh. He turns to leave, so she just punches right through his torso, ripping out his heart. That was a decent effect. Yeah, it was. But you could totally tell it was physical and stuff. The physical effects are awesome. But yeah, like, the yeah, practical like, effects yeah. are amazing. The practical effects, the foam latex mass, uh, all of that stuff was fantastic. The CGI was I terrible. Bet, I bet the guy that wanted to make or was making this movie want to do it like go all out for practical effects and everybody's like no we want this comedy going on we want like a Shaun of the dead with larping and that's that's probably why this movie is not as good as it should be i think you're probably right when gwen and joe are talking as they walk back to the parking lot joe thinks gunther's her boyfriend and gwen sets that straight real quick by explaining that Gunther is her cousin, and she's just there kind of babysitting him since he's a bit touched in the head. Yeah. She's the only one he listens to after he attacked the Red Knight at medieval times and sent the guy to the hospital. Oh, God, man. If there was ever a time for a flashback in a movie. This would definitely be it. I want to see a 12-year-old jump the wall at medieval times and beat the Red Knight to a pulp. Hell yeah. That would have been great. (laughs) We don't get that, though. We're left to imagine that one. Well, Joe and Gwen are attacked by evil barbarians. Gwen fights them off solo. Joe throws his knife, stabbing the mage with him in the chest. Now, remember, these are foam weapons. So he just throws a little stick wrapped in foam and it bounces off the guy's chest. So he's dead. And just yeah. like just like when we were playing cops and robbers as kids, every time we take one of these guys out and they say, you're dead. No, I'm not. 
I had a, a protection spell on me and stuff. Yeah, you, you didn't know? know that because I did it while you were not here. <laughs> Superman's my dad, so I'm impervious to bullets. <laughs> well, a troop of fairies are walking through the woods next. There's a lot of tension between two members of this group. It turns out that the two people who are arguing in this group are a couple of swingers, and that's not working out. So the female fairy leaves to go back to camp. On her way back to camp, she encounters Beth the succubus. And they immediately start making out in, wo- in the woods. And then the succubus rips the fairy's back open, killing her. People are dying fast in this. One. Oh, yeah. No, nah. that's, that's what really got me into the movie. I mean, maybe it's because I was like, you know, a couple of drinks in when I put it on the first time I watched it. But they don't fuck around like i said there's no pissing time it's all right the, the introduction to characters and then bam murder field like plot point bam. kill plot point kill plot point kill through the whole yeah. movie <laughs> and it kept me interested i mean the first time through this movie it was kind of a job to watch it but once i saw it and and knew what it was about going through it again i, I enjoyed it i really did oh yeah in the exalted township of Valinor, we see Lando and Hung. Now, the exalted township of Valinor is the public restrooms in this part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hung is preparing to battle the Beth Succubus. He's still tripping after eating all those mushrooms, and he can see the Succubus's true form. Kind of like Roddy Piper in that Alien movie. Yeah, <laughs> but natural. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the other two guys are like, oh my God, you're like in an accident. And he's like, ah, no, nah, it's all bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck he's trying to tell him. You ran in on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love that line. Ronnie thinks this is a girl who just needs help, but sh- um, Hung shouts his battle cry, fuck you, and the mustache you rode in on and charges at her. She very easily sidesteps a really high dwarf and Hung falls flat on his face. She picks him up and throws him against the building. Ronnie and Lando run away, but Hung still tries to fight. So she lifts Hung up, slashes his throat, rips his heart out and eats it while Lando watches from inside the restroom. Then she heads into the restroom to find Lando. Aaron throws a knife, stabbing Lando in the throat. So two members of our party are now dead. Hung died valiantly. I'll say that for him. Oh, yeah. He's got also, the coolest like battle how, like, cry in the movie, too. Oh, yeah. Also, how like he, he, he knew it was up from like the get-go. He did. Because, and, like, for one, maybe the mushrooms, like, had some kind of, like, natural magic thing to it or something. Right. And it, like, allowed him to be more in tune to, like, what's really going on. Also, he knows Beth, and he knows the picture, you know? And it's like, that's that chick. Exactly. Like, the other people, they didn't know what was up. Yeah. And I will say this. um, According to the rules of horror movies, anytime somebody knows for sure what's really up, that person has to die. So it, it, it was right that they killed him off at this point. Joe and Gwen are investigating the screams they heard. They arrive at the restrooms and find the corpse of Hung. They hear a sound inside the restroom. So Joe takes Lando's staff and goes to investigate. 
Joe has a flashback at this point of having sex with Beth, except she turns into a succubus. And when he comes back to himself, he finds Gunther choking him. (laughs) Gunther and Eric are both there now. And Joe goes into the restroom to look for Lando. And the walls are just painted with gore. Again, that's really cool gore effects going on in that. Like, you don't get a lot of that in the rest of the movie. It's like uh, the one where the guy gets his heart ripped out, the chick's back, and then, like, yeah, you see the inside of this thing, and that's that's about it. Yeah. And again, you know, when they killed Hung, we see the difference between the practical effects and the CGI because she just waves her hand at him kind of casually. And these gaping wounds magically appear on his neck. And they're kind of straight lines on a curved neck. And it's really bad. Oh, yeah. It's like you draw them in there with MS paint. (laughs) Yeah, they might have done that. Back outside, Eric is freaking out. Joe wants to talk to Ronnie. Gunther accuses Eric of summoning something evil with his spell to invoke Joe's character. And the group decide to get the steel weapons from Eric's van and go after who killed their, whoever killed their friends. This is no longer a game. This is real life and death stuff now. Yeah, again, like I think because Gunther's like a little bit mentally touched in the head, he kind of gets what's really going on too, you know? Right. And they don't say any of this stuff in the movie. I'm just speculating on because I've seen so many crappy movies, you know, but like you get that like feeling off of it, you know? Right. They mentioned earlier that Gunther is always in game. So he has lost touch with reality and thinks he's always playing D&D. And so that makes this all make sense to him a lot faster than it does to anybody else. Yeah. Ronnie is running through the woods, freaking out. Apparently he encountered the succubus, but we don't get to see that. Oh, no, he was with the he was with the, the little guy and the wizard. Oh, that's right. Yes, he was. He was with Hung and Lando. So he's he's running from the succubus. Yeah, he ran before even like dude got killed and shit. Er, Right. Yeah. Well, he's trying to figure out where he is. So he takes out the map and realizes he doesn't know how to use a map. So he blames the people who made the map for making a map that sucks. Yeah. And he's like, oh, where the hell am I? And then it shows up full of Syrac. Yes. And I love that. That was a good gag. See, that's like, the dialogue isn't really fun. This one, but like little gags like that is, is like clever as shit. Yes, they are. In the parking lot, Eric wants to leave, but Gunther wants to battle because I think Gunther always wants to battle. Wants to, oh, yeah. No, yeah. He's either eating a smoked turkey leg or he wants to battle. So they arm themselves with real swords and they encounter a nerd who has a cell phone with the sheriff on speed dial. <laughs> hey, can we use your phone so we can call 911? Oh, you don't want 911. They're just going to route that call. You need the sheriff. I got his number on speed dial. Well, like that guy's one of the uh, like officiators or whatever. The right. Him earlier in the movie, like there's like uh, Ronnie, the main uh, DM, and then you got like three little like you know, organizers, and he was one of yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Well, Gwen tells the sheriff that they need help at the state park. The sheriff and his deputy, Tommy, are two of the paintballers from the beginning of the movie, and they're going to go beat some wizard boy ass. Dun, dun, dun. Meanwhile, Gunther's headed to the campground on the battlefield to fight evil at its source, he says. 
The game master is fed up with these guys. He's going to tell Ronnie that they've been using drugs, which is strictly off limit. <laughs> Eric still wants to leave, but Gwen's going after Gunther. So Joe is going after Gwen. That means Eric has to follow, even if he doesn't want to. Yep. And somehow, you know, Eric is the one with the castle house. Eric has all of these replica weapons. Eric's. It's Eric's van. Eric bought this mystical book on eBay. Early in the movie, Beth says something about Joe's friend being an accidental millionaire. But they just throw that out there and, and never do anything with it. So we never know why Joe cares about these people, where he gets his stuff, anything like that. That just ended up on the cutting room floor, I guess. Yeah. Like. They definitely uh, sacrifice character development for just cheap laughs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Next, there are animal sounds coming up from somewhere. And then we see the succubus is eating Eddie, the game master. The one that was going to go tell Ronnie that they were using off-limits drugs. Yeah. Beth gets up and walks toward Joe, but Gwen runs her through with the sword, sticking her to a tree. Joe thinks this has something to do with the prom photo and the spell from Eric's book. So finally figuring it out. While they try to figure out how to send her back, Beth just pulls herself off the sword, just grabs a hold of the sword, steps to the side so that it cuts right through her, and here she comes. Eric starts singing a spell from the book, and it causes Beth to run off into the woods. So that one actually hurt her, so he might be onto something here. Man. Ronnie runs up from somewhere and he recognizes this book because he says he can read Enochian. Yeah. Ronnie's a big, big nerd. Yeah. He also speaks Klingon and High Valyrian. Ronnie explains that this book allowed Eric to summon a succubus from hell. In the woods, the succubus is transforming into a more powerful demon that eats souls. The demon howling wakes up Ronnie's assistant, who think what they actually heard was Ronnie's dragon, and they overslept, and now it's time for the Battle of Evermore, except it's like three o'clock in the morning. Also, <laughs> uh, again, like the physical effects, that demon looks badass. Yes, absolutely. That now, is a really the, good demon. They, they're really good at like building up tensions, too, because it's mostly like feet until... A little bit later, but yeah, no, that demon is so fucking money. It looks so good. Yes, I agree completely. They sound the horn that says the Battle of Evermore will start in 10 minutes. Now Joe and his friends have to save all the other LARPers from the demon. Eric wants to <laughs> Eric wants to chicken out, but Joe gives the requisite ear inspirational speech and turns him around. And then we get our going to war montage as everybody's strapping on, lacing up, swinging their weapons around, making sure they're ready to fight a soul-eating demon. The gang are heading through the woods to save the LARPers. Meanwhile, the paintballers are on their way also. The LARPers are gathered for the Battle of Evermore. King Diamond has to give an inspirational Braveheart speech. And King Carey is trying to do the same from his wheelchair chariot on the other side of the field. 
He's less inspirational, though, and he runs over somebody's foot with his wheelchair. I, don't know, I thought that was funny because he's, he's basically doing like the horse thing from like Dances with Wolves. Yeah. Where, or is no, that's the Braveheart speech, like where he's like, it is riding horse in front of him and shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he runs over dude's foot when he like, like misspeaks or something. And he's going to go correct himself. But I thought that was funny as shit. Like they're doing the, uh, it's, it's genius. They're watching the Red King and man, he's really good. Yeah. He majored in improv. ira is going to sound the horn for the battle ira of course is one of ronnie kwok's crew he's the the jewish one the one wearing the wizard robes and the yarmulke yeah except he lost the official horn so he brought the shofar from his temple (laughs) (laughs) and he begins uh he blows the horn starting the battle as the demon stomps its way toward the battlefield their battle has live loudspeaker commentary which is kind of fun then the dragon enters the battlefield hell yeah the dragon was awesome it's a paper mache dragon fitted over ronnie's car and so they've got the backup camera or whatever on there so they could see what's going on and where they're going but yeah, they're driving Ronnie's car onto the battlefield looking like a dragon. The LARPers attack the dragon, and as the battle rages, the paintballers arrive, driving their pickup truck right through the middle of the fight. And they open fire on the LARPers. King Diamond orders his army to stand and fight those red of neck. <laughs> then the demon shows up and kills one of the paintballers. Then it kills King Carey. The one in the chariot wheelchair. And then the slaughter begins for real as the demon starts killing LARPers left and right. The demon flips the dragon car over and eats the two guys that are in it. Randy goes to get a real gun to shoot the demon, but the demon just kind of pops his head off before he can fire. Another terrible CGI effect. Yeah. Because his head just does a freeze frame while the dragon very slowly pops it off. This is when Ira starts freaking out. So the demon kills Ira next. Ronnie gets in the redneck pickup, but he can't get it started because he drives a Prius and this pickup truck doesn't have a start button. (laughs) I thought that was hilarious because you can hear him turning the engine over, you know, turning the key. But yeah, he can't get it started because he drives a hybrid and this old pickup truck doesn't have a start button. Joe decides this is a good time to ask Gwen out. And because this is a movie on our podcast, it totally works. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also, for like a split second, she's not scared of this fucking giant mystical being. Slaughter. She actually like, you know, kind of gives him like a sideways glance. Like, you got it, tiger. And I'm like, what the? That would never happen. <laughs> Except on a dumpster fire movie. <laughs> but yeah, that was hilarious because, uh, you know, he asked her out in the middle of fighting a demon. It totally worked. I mean, it's just because it's Jason Stackhouse and the guy's got like, I don't know, 12 pack abs or something. I don't know. And a little of that leftover vampire charisma. Yeah, a little bit of that vampire blood. <laughs> Well, the demon's about to kill a LARPer, but Gunther uses his sword as a javelin and stabs the demon in the head. Then Joe gets the demon's attention, and it is on. 
The demon goes after Joe. The guy Gunther saved thanks him. And then Gunther notices Randy's head with the Anakian text burned into the skin. Is that Anakian? Yeah. Eric has a crossbow while Joe and Gwen have swords and they're facing down the demon. The demon pulls Gunther's sword out of the side of its head and Eric fires his crossbow, shooting the demon right in the roof of its mouth. But that doesn't kill it. It just makes it yell. Eric is looking for the spell Ronnie marked in the book. Meanwhile, Ronnie gets the truck started and reverses, pinning the demon up against a building or a tree. Ronnie uses the sword to pin one of the demon's hands to the wall while Eric finds the spell and starts singing it and the gem on the book starts glowing. Joe and Gwen are loading fireworks into a rocket launcher and shooting them at the demon's mouth. But that just means the demon can breathe fire now. <laughs> yeah, also, like, I don't know, man. Right when they shoot it, the fireworks in its mouth for a second, instead of, like, fireworks and stuff, it looks like, I don't know, magic dust or something. It looked weird. Like, it didn't yeah. look like fireworks. So that's another bad CGI. Right. But, yeah, he, he eats the fireworks and spits out fire. Well, Eric uses the spell book to block the flames. From, so that they don't hit Ronnie in the pickup truck, but, but that has a side effect of setting the sleeves of his robe and his book on fire. Yeah. Also, like, time out, like, shout out to Steve Zahn. He actually set himself on fire in this. Yeah. There's no stunt, man. It's actually him, like, uh, elbows up to, like, you know, with the uh, fire retardant, and they, like, actually lit him on fire. Nice. So, Steve Zahn, hell yeah. Take one for the movie. Yeah. Ronnie and Joe get the fire put out, but the book has been reduced to ashes. That's okay, though, because they really only need the gem and a banishment spell. And that's when Gunther shows up with Randy's head. Ronnie starts singing the words that are tattooed on Randy's face. So the demon grabs Ronnie and guts him. That whole thing where, like, Gunther threw the head and then... uh Ronnie catches it, and he's screaming and cussing while they're trying to sing the spell. That's a funny bit right yes, there. Yes, it is. Oh, my it God, is. it's a fucking head. Uh <laughs> <laughs> well, Ronnie, before he dies, says, it's up to you now. Go on without me. <laughs> Joe grabs the gem and gets Eric to fire up a track, track two on his Doom Metal CD. And Eric starts singing an original banishment song. Apparently this works because the gem starts glowing and shooting lasers at the demon. <laughs> yeah. Then the song opens up a portal into the sky, just like when the succubus was summoned. This time, however, it summons the spirit of Hung the Magnificent to battle the demon. Hung has glowing red eyes and a big old sword. And a big smile on his face, too. Yes, he does. I bet he's still tripping. He hasn't been dead that long. Oh, no. Well, Hung uses that big old sword to slice up the demon. It's kind of weird. He's just flying through the air and making little slices on the demon. It's death by a thousand uh, cuts. But badly, badly uh, edited. (laughs) It's like they added this on at the end of the, the, after they filmed this shit. Like, they probably had something else. But yeah, it's like. It looks like he's dancing around, just slicing them up, but it's just, you can tell it's just him on a green screen swinging a sword, right. and they're just moving 
around on the screen. Right. Because it, it is really bad, like, uh, superimposed on there. But, you know, it's a shitty movie. What do you want? Well, the demon falls dead and Hung vanishes. The demon crumbles in flames. Gwen tells Joe he has terrible taste in women. Joe says he has excellent taste in music, though. <laughs> and Gwen agrees. Gwen agrees. So did Joe just find a girlfriend who likes doom metal? I think he did. I think he did. We get an epilogue next. Joe and Gwen have formed a doom metal band and vow never to LARP again. And they're playing along. And Joe shouts to her, you're a terrible bass player. And she says, I know, right? (laughs) Gunther, having faced a real demon, is now always in game. Apparently, his brain finished breaking. And he completely lost touch with anything like reality. He's also still not allowed at medieval times. Yeah, the restraining order is a bit. Yep. Ronnie Kwok was posthumously named Game Master Extraordinaire, and the pages of his monster manual are still stucketh together. <laughs> Eric finally became a 27th level sorcerer. He's currently learning Anakian. <laughs> And Sir Hung the Magnificent's battle against evil has become legend. Hell yeah. And roll credits. Credits. That was a fun movie the second time around. The first time around, I didn't really enjoy it. The second time around, I liked it much better. Yeah. It's it's, it's like like a terrible pothead movie. Or if you're like, I don't know, a really, really nerdy person and you like LARPing. Yes. It's basically like Evil Dead. (laughs) If you know somebody who is seriously into LARPing, don't show them this movie. They will hate the movie and you. Oh, no, they'd love it. (laughs) They'd have to have like, uh, you know, sense of humor, man. They get dressed up in like, you know, rags and stuff and like fight with foam swords. Like, why wouldn't they like this? Um, I got some ideas. I won't put them in the podcast, though. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. Like, when this movie came out, it was still kind of not a, it was like, you know, a fringe thing, you know, like people didn't like talk about it if they did do it. Yeah. But now I see people like posting on Instagram, I'm going LARPing the weekend, wish me luck. Like, it's like now it's come like more a wider spread, I think. Yeah. All right, man. I think that's a podcast. Hell yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFPod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made. Thank you.